0: Australia in four, the United States in five. Off,
1: Mackenzie at the bottom, Stubbins above her, Schlanger in sixth, into the yellow line, Henry. We
2: start, mules got into the water quickly, but so did Joyce, was short of Germany, was away well. They'll go to the wall all
1: together, pick that one.
2: Bloomer, in fact, ahead of Manuel and Hirsch Emanja. What a shot! Peterson stamps her authority on another 200 press goal. Now Henry is starting to come out.
0: Jodie Henry of Australia shading Jenny Thompson, has taken the lead here. The Australians have only won this race once. It was with Dawn Fraser in 1956, Henry's moving away. She's going to win it for Australia. This has been a remarkable last
2: league. Jodie Henry is going to bring Australia home for what will be a yes! victory.
1: <laughs> And welcome once again to the Shannon Rollison podcast for another week. We've got another very, very special guest joining us again this week. And the topic this week is going to be all about the 2011 World Swimming Championships from Shanghai as I introduce uh, the host of the show, Mr. Shannon Rollison. Shannon, mate, how have you been this week?
2: Yeah, good, Robbie. Uh, been a pretty busy week, um, but uh, the... Uh, We've got to the end of our, our our sort of first block. It's been a long, slow five weeks. So I've got I'm looking forward to this weekend. I've given all the swimmers the weekend off, so we get to sleep in on Saturday. So all happy good days, happy days. And I'll, I'll let you introduce our
1: special guest. And so, you know, normally when we're doing these sort of shows about 2011, it's usually just you and I. But I remember when we were talking about this. You brought up a name very quickly and said, no, if we're going to talk about that, meat, we, we need to get this guy on for a chat because he's going to have some great stories about it as well. Could you uh, do us the honours, mate, and introduce our special guest for this week?
2: Yeah, uh, this week we've got a, a, a guy who's uh, been a big part of my life. Um, we go back into the 90s, um, and uh, he was there. He's the best man at my wedding. Uh, he was there, I think, when... Uh, Regga broke the world record in 2013 as well, uh, so that he's been there, the highs and the lows. Uh, my good friend, Brant Best. How are you, Brent? I'm oh, well, Shannon. How are you doing? Yeah, good, mate. The, uh, I can see you've got a, a moustache. Oh, that's right. It's November, Yes.
0: It's November, Yes, I wasn't going to do it, but I, uh, I, I jumped in late and it's actually picked up a bit of momentum. So I'm going to stick with it and uh, until the end of the month.
1: Now, Brent, I've got to ask, of the, of the with, with November, mate, a, a lot of people, like myself, like me, I shave and by tomorrow I've, it's back again. Are you someone who's got a build to it? Have you got to get ready for Movember? Or are you right, like, mate, November 1, I'm, you just stop shaving, I'm, you're good?
0: I'm, I'm a bit of a stickler for that. The rules say that you have to kick off on November 1. I'm not, I'm not going any leader, Robbie. I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> playing by the rules. And uh, it does grow up a little bit quickly, so I, I, I'm no problem there at all. So it was a bit of a random start, but I, I got there. But, uh, yeah. No, 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 lead up. That's not, oh. that's not what it's all about. Mate, I'd Come need one. I'd have to start. it. That's right. One.
2: I was
1: just looking at Shannon's face. <laughs> he looks like someone who'd need one.
0: Shannon, you could be doing my then, but we wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> You've already started. You collecting the money yet?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Won't be a lot of money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> some sympathy money, maybe. <laughs>
2: Uh, that's a good idea, actually. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. Today we're going to talk about 2011. It's been 10 years, um, but uh, Brent. Before we get on to into that, just want to go back um, to your early days um, because you know you coached under two great coaches uh, before you moved to Sydney, um, Bernie Wakefield and Stefan Widmer. So, uh,
0: yeah,
2: mate. Let's kick it off with Bernie. Um, in the, what was it 90 Mid 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, ninety ninety six. I started with Bernie. Um, yeah,
0: ninety six. I started with Bernie. He's um, a great man. I probably didn't appreciate how great a man he was and uh, and the knowledge that he had and, uh, until I kind of look back at it. Um, you know, you, you're young and you think you know lots of stuff and you, you don't know what you don't know. And I was definitely guilty of that. Um, but he was a he was a great innovator in the sport. He was uh, he was definitely uh, not at all like a cut and paste coach he came come up with a, a, a problem and, and find a way to solve it despite a, almost a little bit of ridicule about, his, uh, about the speed work that he used to do. He was uh, renowned for the, the, um, the 20s. He, he basically, as far as I know, invented the term HVO and SVO. Yeah. So, um, yeah he, he was that guy back when, back when he got criticized for doing 20s because he, the, the coaches on deck, Ken, the Ken Woods, would uh, have a go at him and ask him if his swimmers couldn't make 25 because he was doing 20 metre sprints. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's right. I can remember the arguments over whether they're called SVOs or HVOs.
0: Yes, um, yes, I, I remember the HVOs were high velocity overload and then he wanted to emphasize the point. So he, uh, a couple of years later he decided to call them SVOs, super velocity. It was high velocity and it was super velocity overload. So that was Bernie, so yeah, the, the innovator, absolutely. No no uh, no rules for so Bernie. was uh, would would make things up, would identify problems that um, that people weren't a lot of other people weren't prepared to even look at at the time. I remember I went to a conference and we're talking about they were talking about speed and at that point, I think the, the Australian record for number 50 freestyle for women was maybe twenty-five and nine at that point and and went to a conference and they said if you've got a sprinter in your program, you've got to work out what you're doing wrong. Um and that was a, a national conference to work out what's wrong with your program. So um <laughs> uh, that was what 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 the nation was hearing. So um it was knock speed out of them, and it was speed for endurance was the only way to get speed. With with the way it was being delivered by plenty of people, so uh, he was a, he was definitely an innovator.
2: Definitely forged a, a
0: lot of what I what I probably maybe not the what I do, but the way I think and the way I approach swimming is um, a, a lot to do with my time with Bernie.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. You you bring that up. I, I want to later and towards the end we'll talk about that um, that whole sp- speed thing and you know, knocking it out of them and that. You know, we've said in earlier podcasts it was like 40 years or something between Dawn and um, Jodie, and if you brought in Shane Gould who had the world record in, in 72, it was 32 years, so there was a huge gap. And the men, I think the biggest gap twice, it was 16 years, but we'll get into that later. Um, yeah, I, I can remember it, they did a lot of um, – uh, short speed stuff, and I think once a week they do that. The thirty ones, if if I remember correctly, because I was on the other side of the pool, um, and I remember Graham Moore um, came in and it was when was it sort of ninety nine or two thousand, and we were talking about um, lactate and stuff like that, and he said to me, oh, "Your squad removes lactate the quickest out of." the QAS uh, programs, you know, where the QAS would go out and, and um, deliver sports science and stuff. And I went, oh, okay. And then he, he said to me, um, I said, which, which uh, what program produces the most lactate? He said, oh, that's easy. It's that one over there. Hmm. Um, and, you know, when you're just, I think, you yeah, know, well, one of the, the traits you've got to have as a coach is you've got to um, be a very observant, you know, with your athletes individually, uh, with your squad as a whole. But I used to, you know, it's probably one of the things that um, I've always done is just been observant. Um, and so I'd, I'd watch what Bernie was doing for years. So, um, mm. and when he said that, Things all clicked into place for me as a coach as well. So, so Bernie taught me a lot without even saying anything. So, um, um, what sort of stuff that, you, that that he was doing that have you taken forward over the years?
0: Uh, it's probably more conceptual, Shannon. I think what yeah. I've taken from Bernie is that um, is the way to look at coaching as uh, as work out where your problem is and then find a way to fix it, which I. Sounds very obvious, but I think is missed in my job at the moment, because at the moment I'm and for the last five, four and a half years, I've been driving around Queensland, going to programs and, and helping out and giving an idea or brainstorming with coaches and seeing what what is done. But um, the basics of, of identify a problem and adapt your program to fix it uh, was what he did very, very well conceptually. Uh, he, I, I, I learned a lot about speed and the importance of it. Um, it and so, to a point, almost almost took it too far. Um, past that, um, went, once I left Bernie, just because it was such a such an integral part of um, of what he did. Yeah. But it was more of his innovative style. He he would um, he developed paddles that were, were from cut up kickboards that to to get kids anchoring off the front of the stroke. He, they're one of many things that he would do to to, to work out where he was, and he'd, he'd watch a race and be able to identify what would need to change in the program. And that it was more that than anything with Bernie and we, and again, we didn't have as many discussions as we could. He'd probably had probably he, towards the end as well. He wasn't, he wasn't terribly well, yeah. um, but we'd have good discussions about uh, what would happen with the race and then why he was doing what he was doing in training and how he would, um, how he would go about changing that. So, um, so that, that, that adaptability around the, around the race and, uh, and how that would inform his training is probably more than anything of the specific sets that I, that I took from him.
2: Mm. Yeah, actually I forgot about those kickboard things. They were the big white ones too,
0: weren't they? The big the yeah. to yeah. 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 they? Big white ones. Yeah, they'll look a little bit probably a little bit heavy for most kids. Mm. But um, but I mean we we've got a, a Jade Emerson refined them and 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 probably refined the concept and now she's she's driving with the, the encore that we've got running all over Queens. I'm not sure it happened if it's if it's still got to New South Wales too much yet. But down here, up here we've got these uh these foam um Almost a version of a kickboard to sit on the palm that a lot of squads are using to help um, create balance in the water and get a feel for the water and, and, and connect them in the water. It's as good a core training, I think, as you're going to get. Uh, and, and I think that she's adapted that from her time with Bernie. My guess would be because I haven't discussed it with her, yeah. but um, but the, the concept was way ahead of its time. As was as was the speed work that he did. But it was his adaptability to to, to fix problems that is probably um, probably his biggest influence on me.
2: Oh. And. Um you mentioned your job at the moment. You're enjoying that?
0: I love it. I love it. It's a, it's a great job. We've got, we've got a, a fantastic culture up here, as you know, Shannon. you have been part of it for years. But um, the idea, the concept of sharing and the the privilege I've got where I've got each coach I go and see is is welcoming and, and um, prepared to share and open up and discuss issues that they may have with their program and then go away and have a coffee and brainstorm ideas and then come back and see if it works. Mate, I, I love it. I'm working with good people and I'm, I'm very lucky to have the, have the gig. So, yeah, I do love it.
2: Yeah, well, Quint, you guys are certainly doing a good job um, with your, yourself, Drew McGregor and Barry Prime. Um, your strength's going to probably end up being your weakness because of the amount of kids that are uh, coming through and in the system and, and swimming well.
0: No, it's uh, there's a, a, a great... There's a crazy group of kids coming through, and yeah, I am really lucky. I I get supported very well by SQ, and you know, the value of not being not doing this role by myself. I I think you talked before about seeing Bernie across the pool. Well, I was in, you know, I I was in that environment as well, and there was you were going off, and Bernie was going off, and I got the chance to sit and observe and take the best out of it. I'm in a similar situation with these guys. We we get together, we sit in the office, and we spend quite a bit of time just talking and throwing ideas around, and you know, sharing some stuff and where we're going and what we're doing so i'm lucky to be in the office on on um working with, the, with guys of that caliber with yeah. the ideas and the way that they think and we, we've got three very different brains as well i think so we throw ideas around and challenge each other too so it's a very good environment but with getting back to your question yeah there are plenty of good kids coming through and plenty of depth coming through but i'm a little bit more biased i, I think that it's more about the coaches than i think most people do and i see a bunch of very good young coaches coming through and Southeast Queensland and in Queensland in total, and, it's, and if you've got if you've got coaches, then you've got a, a talent ID system that's going to drag the kids through as well, and that's going to trickle down into the into the junior and assistant coaches below them. So I'm as excited about the coaches coming through as I am about the swimmers coming through.
2: Uh, it's good to hear because you yeah, with 2032, um, yeah, that that's certainly going to inspire a lot of people, um, and you've probably got quite a few coaches that'll be retired. Established coaches now that'll be retired, you know, before then. So, um,
0: yes, certainly
2: need, <laughs> yeah, certainly need to replace them.
0: Yeah, well, just about every kid, that's, every kid that's uh, lately <laughs> is falling over. It's I, I'm, all I'm happening. Out, it's all happening in Marika. <laughs> uh, the, the, the coaches that are going to have the kids in twenty thirty two, most of them are junior and assistant coaches anyway. So, the, the influence of those guys is, is absolutely critical on the uh, on the depth of talent we've got coming through. So. Um, yeah, we, we've, got to, we've got to be looking after everybody, as you say, Shannon. Most of the guys that, well, geez, there's very few other guys at the top level now that have got kids that will be there in 10 years. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shannon, I just want
1: to jump in so quickly because I, I think Brandt's obviously being very humble and obviously giving, you know, credit to the coaches and, and rightly so because it is a great bunch of coaches up there. But just as someone who was a part of that system for a brief period for five years, one of the main things I saw which, um, the, the coaches did up there, um, you know, Brant, obviously, Barry and Drew McGregor, which was just getting around to all the programs. It didn't matter whether it was the top or the, what the you know, what if you're a developing program, um, donating time, um, doing a phenomenal job with that. And one thing that always struck me about Brant is, People who listen to me on the podcast will know I've got a bit of knowledge, but I'm I'm sort of a common knowledge type of guy. I'm not I'm not yeah. I don't know uh, the uh, sports scientific side of things where Brand is obviously a, a very um, sharp brain, and he he always had a, And Shannon, you can sort of um, join in with this as well. But Brand's always had a really good feel for how to I don't want to say dumb it down. But he's, he's, he's always been able to help me understand something that in my mind is like, well, that's too complicated. But after Brandt tells me, I think, oh, no, no, that makes sense. Oh, I can see where he's going with that. Have you noticed that in your working and um, being mates with Brand as well?
2: Um, I don't know if he's dumbed it down with me.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Are you trying to stitch me up too because you two are the intellectuals
0: here? <laughs> haven't needed to. No, I
2: mean, the um, – yeah, like Brent and I, uh, the amount of times we've talked about swimming, uh, uh, you know, far out every weekend. Um, so um, – but, yeah, he's always had a strong um, technique focus, you know, and, uh, and, and that's where him and I have had a, a lot in common as far as swimming-type uh, coaching goes, you know, because, you know, obviously there's a – you know, there's a um, more is better attitude or, um, or less is more. And I think Brent and I both sit in the less is, less is more category. So um, it's not to say that we don't believe in hard work, but you, you've got to get things right before you move on. So, um, so yeah. But certainly I think one of the great things, yeah, I think one of the things about coaching in general, uh, whether you're talking to coaches or talking to swimmers, is how to make something complex simple, mm. and I think that's the art of, of coaching. You know, that's where scientists fall short. You know, and that's why there's there's coaches. So, um, so so whether you whoever you're talking to, um, you know, you've got to be trying to make it as simple as possible. And if there's you know three things that need to be said, well, that's too many. So you probably got to work out then what's the one thing that's going to be bang for your buck yeah i think you hit yeah. nail on you the head agree with right? 100% ex- agree yeah. yeah that's exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah how Brandt sort of gets things through to me yeah um and and that's why you yeah, know that, that that sort of chat will have you have coaches wanting you to come back you know um, so we've all talked to coaches who you know were off in the cloud somewhere and you think <laughs> I haven't got time. Yeah, yeah. I remember one coach said once, "Oh, there's 32 things wrong with someone's start," and I thought, "God, (laughs) God, what a ridiculous statement!" You know. Um, Anyway, moving on. So, so from uh, Bernie, you you moved to Stefan, and he was the QAS coach in there at the Valley Pool. And how many? I can't remember how many years you were there. Was it five? Four or five. Uh, I was there
0: for with Steph with two. Is that all? That's it. That's it. Well, a year and a half, really, because I started in January, and um, 2007, and then halfway through 2008, he went to Olympics, and uh, and then didn't come back until January 2009, and I left for Macquarie Uni in January 2009. Ah, so it was only a couple of years. A couple of years there, but between Bernie and um, between Bernie and Steph, I. At, um, I went to Redlands yep. and then uh, spent some time in Redlands, worked with um, Ash Callis at Redlands. Um, and then following that, I head out to uh, Bourbon Gary Pool, up, at, um, yep, up Caboolture Way, had a few mm-hmm. years there um, working with um, uh, the squad up there. And then uh, kind of got to the point where, and this is the same with Bernie, I, I got to the point where I I knew, I knew there were things that I didn't know and I wanted to find out. So it was like, well, okay, well, there's only one way to do this. It's spend some time. I was, at, I was spending time. I had my squad from Iona, I think at the time, uh, in, in the mid-90s, and I, we didn't have any winter water. So I'd bring them out to, uh, to train in between where you and Bernie were. At. Actually, it wasn't, wasn't even you at that time, was it? It was. Um, no. Was it? Was it? It would uh, have been Drew. Ah, no, pre-Drew. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about '95. 90, it was a gal black.
2: I don't know ninety five. Yeah, it would
0: have been me. Yeah, I was yeah. a chairman in ninety three. Okay, cool. So yeah, between between the two of you, uh, you you were too. Well, I I actually came at a point did some winter stuff with my Morningside guys, and then I came out there because I wanted winter water. I wanted to keep my guys going. So it was you out there. You're on one side, and and um, and, and uh, Bernie and Ken Thurston were on the other side, and uh, I I decided I want a little bit of winter water, and uh, then I I got a bit of a look at what was going on. And I was going well. I need to know more about this, and then. Ken's assistant, I uh, oh, sorry, Bernie's assistant, Ken Thurston, left, and it was like, they asked me if I wanted to work there, and I couldn't have got across there quick enough, because yeah. I saw what I was missing, and I think there was a little bit of that when I was, um, when I was working, I went to, um, I was in Redlands, and I was like, I don't, I don't know as much as I need to know, and I saw some things happening, and I, I chatted with Steph, and we were, we actually, the way we actually came about, we decided, because he was having problems with um, some challenges with, uh, with Liesl at the time, and I was working with Jade Emerson, so racing together, and we decided we'd catch up once so we can go and um, hit a few ball, balls at the driving range and started chatting with doing you know, doing the coach thing. And we chatted for hours about our, our, our swimming and coaching and stuff like that. So uh, it got to the point where it was an opportunity for a, for a scholarship position with uh, with Steph. And again, I worked out that there was some stuff that I needed to know that I, if I wanted to get to the next level, which I really did, I, I needed to find out more. So that's where I uh, started working with Steph and in, in January 2007. So a couple of years, yeah, a couple of years working with Steph. And then Very from good there, coach. there, you went to Macquarie, was it? That- from there, Yeah, straight to Macquarie. I, um, there was a few jobs that I could have taken or could have looked at in Brisbane, but I, I wanted to stay in that realm of coaching the, the smaller squad to the higher level. And uh, I also worked out that there were some things that, that I couldn't unlearn. When you, when you know when you're working with a small group, there are things that you can do you can't work It's hard to work on with a bigger group. Yeah. I didn't want to go back into a bigger group. Knowing, knowing what I knew, I wanted to test how I would go with a, with a more of a high performance focus uh, with, a, with a smaller group of kids. So the Macquarie Uni job sounded very, very good and with a high performance focus, and they wanted to, they wanted to start putting people on teams. So I, uh, I headed to Sydney and went to Macquarie Uni. I was there for 15 months before I uh, moved to Slopak.
2: Mm, yeah. So I remember us chatting in the, at Parramatta, of course. Yep. Um, and I, I think we were chatting about the job move and or, you know the fours and against and stuff like that. And so, so you know, once you moved to Sydney, did you were there elements of Bernie and Stefan that you took with you? Did you have your you know the brand best model and there was elements of Bernie in that, elements of
0: Steph or 100? Yeah, yeah, 100. I, I there was, and you've always got to have your own model, I think, uh, yeah. and that's got to evolve as you go on. But, um, I definitely had. Uh, I had things that, uh, obviously, I, I, I love watching from what Steph was doing. There's things that I, um, because I hadn't had a, a big chance to try them out, I um, there are things that I thought that I could do differently because we're all we're all different styles of people and we've all got different experiences. And I think you've got to be true to your experience and the, and your personality when you're coaching. So I definitely took plenty of stuff from Steph, definitely still carrying things from Bernie. Again, more more the the innovation. But the, the stuff around around speed, what I learned from Steph, probably the big thing was, the main thing was to learn to push the, the boundaries of what I thought was possible. I remember seeing a set with, with, uh, with Libby and it was a, it was a Monday afternoon set and um, she'd just been solidly um, um, challenged on the, uh, on the Monday morning. And we came into the Monday afternoon and uh, she came in and did a big speed set. I thought, oh well, that, that's really good. She's done a great job there. And then on the uh, Tuesday morning, they had uh, max kick and pull set and they were doing sprints of kick and pull that oh, hell, She's not going to handle this. And she summed up and she went again. And then Tuesday afternoon, she's gone again. And it's like this is this is breaking the rules that I had as, as foundational that I that I knew were right and wrong. It was yeah. someone telling me that the sky wasn't blue. If you know because you know you're knowing coaching until you know something different. So that was the sort of stuff I was I was going to find out. But to learn to push the boundaries uh with Seth to, as to what was possible. Um I mean he was he was a he was a tough taskmaster as well and, and pushed them to their boundaries and beyond. But just that pushing them to their boundaries and beyond and learning where that was, learning where their boundaries wasn't and, and that I potentially hadn't challenged my athletes to the point that I potentially should have done because I didn't take them to the edge I, I stuck to the rules a little bit so uh, that, that, and not that I not that I think I'm the sort of coach that will take kids past their boundary a lot, but I probably learned to take them to where they were going to be uncomfortable um, through Stefan. so I definitely took that. Into, into my workings in Sydney and wasn't afraid to see them fall over. And probably, probably again, considering I was going in and coaching a, a group of male sprinters, I had to tone that back a little bit because what Steph was able to do with Libby was stuff that I wasn't able to – if I did that sort of stuff with Maggie, he would fall over.
2: So I had to learn
0: the stuff I learned with, with Steph and then learn to adapt it to the individual when um, when I was coaching the bigger boys at, at uh, SOPAC.
2: And what year was that, the SOPAC?
0: Was it so 10? SOPAC was – I started there in uh, beginning of two thousand and nine. Oh yeah, and uh, and then Maggie came on board. I met with him end of two thousand and nine. Met with him and his parents, and they were looking coming down to uni. Jim Fairley set up a meeting um, for because he was looking, He had to come to Sydney anyway, so we sat around and had a chat and met him. Probably I'm going to say September October in uh, two thousand nine. He started uh, right at the beginning of two thousand and ten. January two thousand and ten. Yeah.
2: Yeah, uh, and, um, and so we're getting on to the, uh, the main part. I mean, we, we said we were going to talk about it's been 10 years. Um, and obviously, yeah, Maggie was just out of school. I think, did he have a year off
0: maybe? He went to Norway?
2: Was, was that the story that was going on? Or... He,
0: he He did for it. He might have had a he, – he, he would have come. I think – well, I think he would have come straight from school because he was still – he was still 17 when yeah. he started with me. So he had some time in Norway. Um, whether it was for the year, I'm not sure. I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. But uh, he definitely had, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and uh, but he hadn't been on any teams. I think he might have been on an age team or something like that. Yeah,
0: something. yeah, yeah. Sh- Showed a bit of promise, but hadn't hadn't really shown, you know, what his what his probably what his potential was. Or was he, he, he knew he was a good swimmer. The did he made in, in 2010. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his first team in he uh, in, in 2010. Made um, commies and uh, and Pam in in 2010 yeah um he, he was was a long way off of it and I, I remember in our uh, in our first week we were we were reducing a load for for um, in our first week but one of the early weeks we were reducing load for something and I, I gave our guys um, six ones kick on two minutes and he I think he after the number three couldn't make the cycle. Uh, so he was a big strong dude and could swim but um but, but at that point we're struggling with a with a little bit of fitness and condition. He, he, he arrived at, um, at the program at 104k uh and uh <laughs> big boy a big a, a, but but I, i'm gonna say probably uh 10k of each promoter being his traps and his biceps because he was he was all about the, the muscles that look good in front of the mirror um and didn't, didn't mind doing a workout um he are in a racing at worlds at 87k um okay. 15 months later so we, we got stripped a bit of that off of him but that that was and i don't want to jump the gun here but that was a little bit of, of of the makeup of maggie once he started to believe yeah and and get get onto a concept it was, it was that state championships that year. He got sick and couldn't swim at the New South Wales State Champs. And a bunch of guys that were going to make the team jumped up and swam. And I think a bunch of them went 49. A few of them went 50. And um, and at that point, yeah, he was starting to get the idea of what it took in training. And we stood up the back and it was a pivotal moment for him. We stood up the back and looked at him and I said, mate, you beat these guys, you can make this team. And, uh, and he's going, well, I can beat those blokes. And we were pulling the race apart and he'd learned a little bit about sprinting and what it took and where he needed to go and the the gaps that he had. And he knew where he was. And at that that stage, he'd he'd gone like a high 50 point. So mate, you you go 49. Don't worry about talking about 49. I know 49 sounds like a big thing. But, mate, basically, if you can lop a second off, uh, you can make this team. And I said, mate, you can can take a second off because you know what you've got to improve and you know a little bit about where your gaps are. So that was our our pivotal moment. And that was the point of buy-in for him that the training changed a little bit too. He changed his attitude towards... His, his technique and his approach to his sets, and you know, rather than trying to probably get out of stuff, he was he engaged into doing what he needed to do. Uh, but it, it all came with belief and engagement. And was he a good trainer? He was not a good trainer at the beginning. Um, he, he was, he was all right. He was all right. He, he wasn't anywhere near the trainer he needed to be. Um, but from that point on, and when he got the buy on, we had a really good roll of results that, that led to him continuously being a. A better trainer, I say to the coaches that I work with that you've got to be a salesman first. You've got to be able to sell what you want to sell because if they don't buy it, um, they don't buy what you're selling, they're not going to engage and you've got a tug of war. So uh, he he wasn't a bad trainer but really wasn't an engaged trainer and didn't see the – I don't think he saw the value in training linking to racing and his racing results. And I feel that my programs definitely specifically link to – getting back to what we were talking about with Bernie before, definitely linked specifically to racing. So when he saw the racing link and and then we go away and we race off the back of training, he could see how the training would work with his racing. And and he was a pretty ambitious kid. So then he could see the results, see how it worked, and then engage some more. And then we rolled on a little bit better to the point where he made his first team in in 2010 off the back of uh, four months of 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 just, just solid engagement and solid understanding of what he had to do. I don't know that the sets were 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 tremendously suited to to him at that point because i was just getting to know him but the things we needed to do and the the major things that were in his way he was uh, dedicated towards towards changing so that was the point at which he started to train well by the time he he got really engaged and probably post-com games where he missed out on the spot on the relay and was was, i think his fourth fastest going in but they went with experience over 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 his time Uh, that point at which uh, i remember again another pivotal moment we sat down on the phone and he was over there and he was cranky and pretty pissed off with, with, um, with being missed out. And I said, mate, we'll sit there and watch it, watch the race and let it burn in your gut and never let it happen again. So we had a few pivotal moments where, you know, you know that sort of thing, If you're looking back at him, that was probably a, a lucky thing to say, but exactly the right thing to say for this kid yeah. because every time he jumped into training, you could just see that fire in his belly and he, and he attacked every training session with, with as much as he had to the point where he could break himself. And I had to ask him whether he got that wrong, or, or well, that was him breaking, and whether he had any more. He he would push past that point. So um, that yeah, to long answer to a short question, Shannon. Yeah, he was a good trainer.
2: Yeah, and, and and that's people develop can develop into becoming good trainers too, can't they? And it's like you say, the buy-in. 100%. I've seen that with some of the guys that I've been coaching the last couple of years here. You know, they when I first started, training was just about turning up. Then. Some of them was just it was training up and just surviving, yep. And then, you know, third third year or fourth year, they start thinking, oh well, actually, you know. So, mm. so again, yeah, absolutely, it's a bit of patience on on the behalf of the coaches, and yeah. but there is a fair bit of that just survival mentality, I think, in in New South Wales, um, and I think it's changing, but it's it's certainly got a ways to go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so you come off that in, in 2010 and, and uh, his gut's burning and um, so you're preparing for, for Shanghai um, and you, you yourself make the team. Was that your first team with him? 2011? That was my first
0: team with him, yeah, yeah,
2: yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, in the, the preparation leading into Shanghai, uh, I don't know, can you remember offhand where he was ranked in the world in 2010?
0: Yeah, yeah. In, oh, not not highly in the world in 2010. I think he he may have swum a, a 48 very very high over in California for, at Pampax. So ranking in the world, well, I can remember there wasn't significant. It wasn't um, top ten or anything. No, nah, no, nah, it wasn't top ten. No, no, and 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 nowhere near it. There were quite a few in front of him. It was, it was. Um, I mean, he he wanted to get an individual individual position. Like he didn't like missing out on the relay, but he also discussed at a point that he didn't just want to be a relay swimmer he wanted to be an individual he's an ambitious guy yeah. he would he, he, he would he's that he was we had a few whatever it takes kind of conversations which is you know which is super for me because i don't have to lose sleep over the things that are whether whether i'm going to be able to get him up or not you know i got to lose, lose sleep about how good i can make the set to, to, to get the best out of his attitude yeah so uh, which which was the shift for him because he was a little bit of a survival trainer at the beginning and that did shift But yeah, nothing significantly ranked going into off the back of uh, 2010 at all.
2: And was there any inkling in the lead up to Shanghai that you thought, oh, this guy's really cooking? Like, yeah, was there a set that you know was was there a James Magnuson set that he just did really well?
0: Well, there's a few that that are probably um, worth mentioning. But I think what's worth mentioning before that, um, I I I love a good set, but I don't love a good I don't love a very complicated set. what I, what I really love is the benchmarking leading into the set. So um, whether it be uh, hundreds at a certain heart rate um, at 50 below or 25s at your 100-stroke rate or your best 50s at your 100-stroke rate, I'm more about the the benchmark and improving the benchmark for him. And that's where I saw significant changes for him, was that he changed his, his ability to do 50 metres at 100-stroke rate, shifted significantly, and the, and the shifts were coming. So I think for me, if it's a bit of a picture for me, but – if he's doing a 50 at a certain speed with a certain stroke rate, and that equals your 100 time, if I can get a shift in that 50 and I can put the right stressor before that 50 um, to put him in a race situation and he can still continue to improve, then we're going to come up with a faster race. So the benchmark was shifting. I was putting what I thought, what I felt was the, was the stimulus that was hurting him at the front of the, the set and then asking him to come through the back, and that was shifting at the same rate as the benchmark. So if the benchmark shifting by half a second per 50 for me that's 1 second per 100 and that we was, was shifting at that rate and the stresses that he was I was putting before him they are actually getting quicker and he was still tolerating that and dealing with the the back end work which was also getting faster so um, really simple sets i mean it the, the three it's nothing nothing too fancy the 325s 325s on 131 2110 and then a and then, but that was based off the benchmark 25s we set up in the warm up. And then the, the 50 back off that off a benchmark, swim down and do it again. Yeah. Um, nothing too complicated. It, it was, it, it's not, that wasn't the complicated part, I think, of the program. It was, it was shifting, the, uh, shifting yeah. the stuff before the main. Yeah. And, and we can get that. We, we can just repeat that and do anything. So um, it, I'm not dodging the, the set question, but it was, that was where more of our focus was. And that's where I, I saw the shift starting to happen
2: yeah so you, you were shifting his efficiency yes
0: yeah yeah absolutely and, and then and then testing and and pushing that so that it was it, that was the complexity of the program was the shifting of the of the efficiency, and it wasn't just asking for a better stroke count and a better time uh we did a lot of stuff around uh specific stroke rates at that time, looking at the way he was moving he was, he was a very inefficient mover, he was a big dude mm. and he was and he was strong, but he wasn't very functional, so with um We'd work from, from very good physio I had in Sydney, Dave Pugh. And uh, we also would bring Roger Fitzgerald down from uh, from Queensland, who's a, a, a movement specialist I've been working for years in Queensland, worked around the best way to get him moving because he had no great combined elevation. He, he had no great streamline. He couldn't kick well under the water. And he was very, very blocked through his rotation, which meant that when he started with me, I, I think his stroke rate was 43 or 44 for the 100. And, you know, that's a, that's a hell of a lot of head start to give the blokes that are going 52 stroke rate to, to roll through a hundred. So, um, to, but to get that, to get that stroke rate up and, and to drop his timing back from, from in here back to here, uh, we need, he needed to free up his rotation. He was a big, strong dude. And that helped him with his stroke length, but you know, you can't, if you're 44 and someone else is 50, that's six stroke cycles per minute. Mm. That's 12 strokes. You, you, we you can't afford to give that away. So but, but to bring him up in his timing wreck his length. So we'd lose that. So I had to try to find a way to, to hold on to the really good length that he had but, but bring the timing up. Uh, we, we changed breathing, but to get him breathing early, his neck would block and then his rotation would block. And then he had a, he had a fantastic six-pack, but that would, would block him as well. So um, they, it was very intricate, the process of getting this dude to be able to move well enough to be able to hold a, a stroke rate at 47 or 48, which is where he was. Uh,
2: when he won, um, when he won worlds. Yeah. Now, nah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm laughing because the complexity of coaching, you know, it's uh, yeah. if if someone asks me, is is it hard? I said, no, and then you think about, it, and then the more you think about it, the harder it gets. So, but uh, look, yeah, it's a great way to improve someone too. Um, and that's I've always been a big fan of efficiency. And uh, you, while you you're talking then about those shifts, I remember with with Rega, the, um, in the turn of breaststroke, you know, the, the biggest shift she made in, in those first six months I had her was was her efficiency. Um, yeah. and, uh So whenever you can find that, that, that you know, when I was AIS talent, you know, looking at people coming into the program and stuff like that, it was always whether you could make those stroke gains and is it possible yeah. without all those blockers? Um, and if there are blockers, are they changeable ones? Yeah. And if so, you yeah, know, tick, tick, tick. So, um,
0: yeah, what's in the way? find out, and, and I don't think that's done enough. Find out what's in the way. Yeah. You know, first, first port of call is, okay, what's in the way of my athlete and uh, can I get it out of the way rather than loading on someone else's set, which is someone else's solution for someone else's problem, Yeah. Um, which is also why I like, the, I like the simpler set too because I think there's plenty of complex going on. But if you can get the athlete to put their blinkers on and just execute, especially if they've got a little bit of think about it, they've got changes to, to, to make, Complicated, etc. Then that's just one more thing to work on. Yeah. You know? Start start with the simplicity. complicate it a little bit if you need to, but there's there's plenty going on that that you know, they they need to overcome in the process. You know, so not that I got him overthinking, but but there was still a little bit of um, there was an awareness of, of a shift that he had to make, and that wasn't going to happen with with me trying to come up with you know trying to solve Einstein's theorem. You know.
2: Yeah. Uh, simplicity
0: is always the way to go, isn't it? And um... yeah, absolutely. Underrated. Underrated. Yeah. I think the, the older I get. And the uh, and the more grey hairs I get, um, the more I realise that that uh, this, the the have got to make like you said before, bring the complex into the simple. Um, and and geez, if I if I say that once a week, I say that fifty times to coaches who are you know, overcomplicating things to, for, for kids who need the most simple but Like for me, I can think about one thing at a time effectively, and sometimes not even that. Um, we've got kids in the water trying to they're at speed, they're under fatigue, they you know there's plenty of distractions. They might have had a tough day at school and uh, we, you know, they say three things or the coach says six things to the squad and you wonder why they don't get it and then turn up a racing and they're not getting things right and they're not retaining any mm-hmm. information. We we wonder why. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm with you on simplicity.
2: And, and so, you know, we head over to Shanghai and um, it was in, you know, China, which, um, you know, I think first time since Beijing. And, uh, you know, yeah. Um, There was, I remember going, we all had our own rooms, thank goodness, because we all ended up, I think everyone got sick at some stage, didn't they? Um, Yeah. You know, talk about curveballs, and imagine if there was two of us in a room. (laughs) (laughs) No, no good. um, I got off pretty lightly. I think I was like 24 hours, um, and I, uh, Craig Calder, he was a swimmer I had on the team. He, I think he was like five, six days. But from memory, you you got pretty crooked.
0: Yeah, I did. I did. I, uh, I got very, very crook. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how much weight I lost. I, I think five or six K I lost that week, <laughs> um, which wasn't a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I, my memory of that, I don't remember a lot of that sickness because my focus was on Maggie's sickness. Because he picked up pneumonia in uh, around the time of short course leading in. Around ran about four weeks out. So he had full-blown pneumonia and had, a, had some really loud stuff going on in his lungs and nearly didn't fly. So my, when, when you talk about sickness, I was thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to have a chat about Maggie's crookness. But I'd, I'd forgotten that, oh, I couldn't keep anything down. It was yeah. – no one was winning in my yeah, room. Yeah. No one wanted to be staying with me. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it was, it was awful. It was awful. It was a good thing. We all had a
2: room to our, our own as coaches. Yes. Because, uh, we certainly needed it. Um, I remember
0: I, I couldn't jump up and down too much. When uh, I remember actually being very calm when, when Maggie won. I thought, yeah, that's really good. I'm, I'm thinking about going, yeah, I was really calm. And maybe it's because I couldn't afford to jump up and down because I, I didn't know what was going to be happening. <laughs> or maybe I, I remembered that to, to, uh, just, to suit the story because it I was always very crooked. Well,
2: but you, you were on your feet for the, for the race.
0: I was definitely on my feet for the race. And uh, I, I was definitely very excited. You know, you get the, your coaching mode and, no matter how sick you are, well, I don't yeah. know for me, no matter how sick you are, you turn up for coaching and you think, bloody hell, I'm getting better, and then you go back and you collapse. That was that meat for me. You, you come along to the pool, you do what you needed to do, and then you uh, and you go back and you, to your room, you do violent. what you really needed to do.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And so, so I'm not sure if you remember now, but... Can you remember, it with, you know, days leading up to that event? Yep. You know, where you're thinking, "Jesus, guy, he's really swimming," you know, or, or was it? Yeah, was I, it I remember
0: that really well, Shannon. Um, and that wasn't what I was thinking um, at all. Uh, we came off of um, came off a short course. Uh, he did some turns, and he said, "Oh, he's trying a bit hard to breathe." I said, "Oh, mate, just forget get a short course.
2: <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got a few more turns to
0: do. with did the 200. Struggled to breathe a bit. No, mate, you're all right." And we were still in. I think it was that. I think that was Adelaide. And uh, physio mate, he's not breathing really well. Checked him. Well, we had a little had a little bit of rumble in the lungs. Went back to Sydney. Got worse. Got worse. Got worse. At one stage, we didn't think he was going to be able to fly to Shanghai because he's because he, it was just the rumbling was getting worse and it started to settle. And it just started to come good. But He was still really very low and very flat. And uh, look, if you have a look at it, the, the picture of the boys behind the relay, you'll see that. The other boys who aren't terribly well tanned look all right. And, and there's this grey ghost standing next to him. And it's uh, part of the reason he was 87K was because he'd just come off um, three weeks of pneumonia. So he nearly didn't fly. And he'd just come off his lungs around that time. So he flew. And then we, we arrived in. And he uh, gave him a day off because he just wasn't ready for swimming at all. So I gave him a day off swimming. The day we arrived at night, I think, and the next day, another day off. First day, okay, mate, let's see what you can do. It might only be 200, 300 metres. And he got through about 300 metres first day. Second day was about 500 metres. Went through about five days, and I think it was up to 1.2K after about five days. It um, yeah, wasn't great at all. And then he just started to get a little bit. In, and basically, I had – it was almost as if I had no pressure because there was no expectation. It was just watch what you got in front of you and help them through. So about five days in, he had to do 10 strokes strong, and it hurt him. Um, he did that a couple of times, and he, he'd give me the shake of the head, and that's enough. So it was exactly opposite to um, this guy's flying. I knew the work he'd done and I knew that he'd improved and I knew that he was improving, but I had no control over the rate of improvement. All I knew is if I bashed him about, I could take him backwards and I knew what he was capable of. So I had no expectation. He had very little expectation um, and all we wanted to do was was to be ready to go and I think it was about four days out. Like I said, is he going to be right? I said, he's going to be fine. At that point, he was getting back down to pushing some solid some sort of 50s, which at that point were, were a comfortable, like comfortable high 24s, low 25s at 200 stroke rate. So yeah, I remember it very, very specifically. And then we got a bit closer, a bit closer, and then we got to, uh, we got to race day and um, he was still good, but we hadn't tested him over 100 because we couldn't test him. So it was like, mate, just uh, make sure you, you control yourself on the way out because I don't know if you can make it back.
2: <laughs> this sounds like <laughs> last week's Tani White episode. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, I haven't heard that yet. Yeah, same thing. And you know, like even before you even said those words, which was exactly what I said to her in 07. Um and, and you know, Craig Calder, he, he was that sick in Shanghai, uh, that if he if he had have asked me, should I swim, my my answer would have been no, don't swim.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. And but I felt, you know, um, he, you know, he would made his first world's team. He'd, he'd been on, on, I think, uh, Pan or Commonwealth games the year before, but you know, it, it might have been his last swim as well. Um, so I wasn't going to stand in, the, in, in in his way. And, and he, he, uh, he said, no, I want to swim. I said, Well, if you're going to swim, <laughs> you may not finish. You've got to really swim efficiently well. And, and he did, and, and he was like, a bee's dick off his best time, which he had no right to be there. And uh, you you, you learn a lot sometimes from these situations, don't you? And I think, you know, swimmers uh, and coaches, it's just a great opportunity to learn something when things haven't gone great. And, you know, um, you mentioned there a couple of times you had no pressure because you were just glad to get behind the blocks. Uh Uh-huh. So yeah. uh, how can you take that when you have had a great prep? And, and, and how, how, that's, that's the key, isn't it? You know, that's what I've always felt. I've never been afraid to race my guys in bad situations because you just learn from them, um, yeah. apart from Craig, because I seriously had concerns for him that time. <laughs> um, mm. But, uh, yeah, you don't want to put them in, in a risk situation, but uh, health-wise. But um, you certainly can learn a lot, and um, yeah. if if they have the maturity to to take that forward as well, um, you, you can really make gains. So you went in with no expectation, and uh, I mean he was the underdog from a, a a ranking point of view from a year ago. But yeah. not only was he that, even inside the camp, he was had no expectation because um, no,
0: yeah, no,
2: no, which which what was going
0: on in retrospect suited him. Again, more than I probably, I probably learned later that that environment of no expectation suited him. Uh, he, he technically was very, very good, but when he got a little bit more excited about, um, about the outcome, he had the ability just to tighten up and just throw just a little bit of tension on. And this guy, he's, he's a big, powerful guy that's working on a nice edge. If he pushes a little bit too hard or holds a little bit too much tension, he falls off balance and then doesn't, doesn't anchor as well and doesn't flow as well and starts using his hands and his legs rather than really being able to work off his body. So at that point, it was all about light legs and soft hands and, and hold good position. He knew what efficiency felt like, and he probably—I'm not going to say he overcooked it, but he he really nailed it. And even with that little bit of amplification on the day, just controlled it and then pushed through the back. He was a relay swimmer's first one. He, he loved the relay, but you know, it, again, there wasn't pressure there. So yeah. uh, that that and that net gave him the confidence to be able to go out and do the uh, knock off the um, knock off the, the individual swim, but. It was the night after the, the relay, we are talking about expectation and, and how um, how the pressure, how the expectation changes your, your kids and the way they focus. The night after, he knocked on my door and said, Brent, can we have a chat? And I said, yeah, yeah no worries. So we walked down the corridor I think, what's all this about? And he's gone, oh, I'm, I'm now the favourite. I don't know what to do. I kind of don't know what to do with that. I, I came in as the underdog and I was happy with that. But, you know, I said, I'm the favourite. And we had a conversation about, well, first of all, process and what you did, to ha- how to get that right and w- what made it a good swim, and you've got to be able to stick with that. Uh, secondly, to remind him that that's exactly where he wanted to be and there was nothing wrong with that because he'd always talking about wanting to be the best mm. and really ambitious with that and that and that really drove him in, into wanting to be the best, but the fact that he was now in front of them all concerned him. So it was a matter of taking the – he still had the expectation, but, um, but almost taking the pressure off him to talk about the process, but also – also, get him out of his own head. We had a discussion about everybody else in the race and what they're thinking and how they're panicking about him now. So you don't need to panic about them. You can actually calm yourself down because you don't have the pressure. You can control your race now. Let them panic. Let them worry about you because here's this bloke they know nothing about. So that, to, to turn that around in the moment, and I don't think there's a script for it for every kid, but to see their expectation and be able to take that load off of them in whatever way, whatever, however it takes... Um, it is critical because you, you can't swim. You can't swim with expectations weighing you down. And I think the expectations come from, for me, from when you focus on what you can't control.
2: You know, yeah. and and
0: and I only I, for me, I only ever get nervous about things I can't control. So to be able to take that stuff away from him, talk to him about he could control his race and they couldn't control theirs was uh, important. Walk down the corridor in Shanghai. So and you see him just settle after that. Uh, he he was good from that point on. So uh, and then he came out in the. Uh, in the 100 probably didn't swim probably as good as swim just that little bit of tension but still went a 0.15 slower and and did what he needed to do in a uh in a race where there was a lot of pressure and expectation
2: yeah well uh, yeah a couple of things there i I think uh, culturally i think Australians sit well as as the underdog yeah Mm. um We'll always back at the underdog if we don't know who if if we don't care who wins we go for the underdog. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I can remember when um, you know when we were talking about earlier podcasts about Joe. You're always trying to yeah. be the underdog, but at some point in their career, they end up being number one or they're the yes. favorite, or you know, so you, you have to have that. You, you've always got to have that discussion in the back of your head, ready to to spin it any mm-hmm. way you, you, know, you want. So, um, because it, inevitably, if you're going to win, you can't avoid it,
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and part, of, part of what I think makes the uh well, I mean, it makes all swimmers tick, but but with the the sprint boys is that absolute belief mm. that they can do the job. I think is critical. I, I think it gets to a point where they get too much belief and they, they you know they, they think they've got it when they before they haven't. And there's a, it's a fine line there as well. But yeah. they've got to have that belief, and you know you can call it mojo, you can call it alpha male, you can call it whatever you like. And some of those terms are are, are not trending so much on on um, on social media as much as they should be because of a whole bunch of other reasons. But but. Men, have, they've got to be able to be men. They've got to be able to have a little bit of belief and stand up there and, well, not necessarily beat their chest, but, but have that, that confidence and the belief in what they're doing because uh, if they don't, you know, what, what's that worth in their, in their belief and what's that worth then in their trust going into their race?
2: Yeah.
0: Because to swim a race the way he needed to swim it, you needed a lot of trust because it was basically swimming your legs at around about four out of ten down the first 25 and soften your hands and let the others go because you know you're going to come back to them and trust your efficiency. Uh, And that that was part of the race plan. If you don't trust and believe in yourself, uh, then you're not going to be able to let the rest of the world go out in front of you and be okay with that. You know, and know that 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 there's, you know, there's this six seconds of swimming in the first, in the first twenty five meters, and that six seconds can impact the last. You know, the the rest of the race. You know, from seventy five on, there's quite a bit more time left. So to be able to do that, you've got to have belief. But it is a fine line. Yeah.
2: No, absolutely. And I remember. You know, people would be critical of him, of, of the way he would speak at times and stuff, and I always thought I, I never had a problem with what it, how he was because it's part, of, part and parcel of, of the event. Um, yeah. And as long as that comes naturally to you, uh, if, as long as you're not putting that on because you think you have to, uh, that's, just, yeah. that's just the animal yeah. you're dealing with. Um, yeah, and,
0: and it's true to yourself you've got to you've yeah. got to be true to yourself and the, the problem with the statement i mean it was he got asked some pull there, i think was that was the the, the moment it, what do you what do you say to the rest of the world and this naive 18 year old kid has said brace yourselves <laughs> and i, was, I don't know but the problem i mean it was a, it, it's a really beautiful honest statement yeah um and, and and i mean that's who he is he's a he's a good dude um He he's got a good sense of humor and he's a He's a good knock-around guy. Um, and, and the brace yourself is honest, but that, the, what that, the problem was the media response
2: yeah.
0: to it in, in amplifying it. And then the amplification led to probably more of that and almost a little bit of brashness. Um, but Annie's response to that, and but the rest of the world's response to that as well, and then that built a little bit of pressure and then that caused, started to cause some issues as well. But, um, yeah, brace yourself. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah, oh, in the moment, he's got a quick wit as well. But yeah, they're yeah, pretty good in a, in a conversation. And you know, I public voice, private voice. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would have probably preferred that to be in in a team meeting afterwards. He's probably said that
2: with a bit of humour behind it, but it doesn't oh, take that way. No, uh, no, and yeah, so yeah,
0: Lo- loaded pressure and expectation that was there was became harder to combat that year.
2: Yeah, yeah. But anyway, he, you know, he wins the world championship. And I can't remember if, was it the first male since Klimi in 98? Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it was a great result. And, uh, um, you know, he went on, um, you know, he, well, 0.01 in, in, I don't want to get too much into uh, 2012, but 0.01, he was silver, and then he, he won worlds again in 2013, didn't he?
0: And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm happy to dig into 2012 if you want to chat about it too. I've, I'm, I've um, my PTSD isn't that, uh, <laughs> isn't that <heavy> anymore. <laughs> you and I were, uh, we were roomies, so um, yes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. We,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, so in 2012 we roomed together, so which was which was good. Now I, I wouldn't mind yeah you know, delving into a bit more of that, but um, just uh, um, it's probably in itself a chat and i wanted just uh, to throw this out um the uh um i was we were, we did oh, a couple of weeks ago with matt trodden we talked about the success of um you know breaststroke in in the uk and uh even since that chat um matt and i've been in touch and we've talked about you know one of the things that i've you know, looked at when I did some of my research, there's been this massive um, success rate of men's breaststroke, but all bar one, I think, um, that I could find women, nothing. Mm. Um, They've got a lot of women who can do breaststroke and always have had in numbers-wise, but just nothing comes through um, like the men have. Um, And then just, you know, when... I was getting you doing a little bit of chat, and look, I apologise if uh, my memory has failed me. I, I, I didn't look this up, but um, just off the top of my head, um, you know, men, we've, we've ha- always had a trickling of um, men's 100 freestylers. John Devitt, Olympic champion in 1960, Parramatta man also. Um, of course, of course. <laughs> Part of a legend, yes. Uh, John was great. Like, he'd always come up to me and uh, ask about how the girls were going. This was pre-Athens, and uh, um, and we'd always have a chat about Parramatta as well. So uh, he always loved the sprinter. But, yeah, then we had Mike Wendon in 68. You had Mark Stockwell in 84. So so that was probably one of the bigger gaps, 16 years. Um, then Klimi in 98, winning Worlds. um So there's another 16-year gap between Mark and him. Uh, Eamon Sullivan in 08, he was silver. Uh, And then Maggie, um, world championship in 11 and 13, silver in in 12, and then you had Kyle in 16, and then silver in Tokyo. So the biggest gap was 16. You sort of had this trickle effect all the way along. Um, And then on the women's side, we... Bigger gaps. Um, you know, she had Fraser in, in, in 56, they actually went one, two, three. Um, and then, you know, she was obviously 60, 64. Then you had Gould in 72 was world record holder. I don't – I think she meddled in the 100 in, in 72. Um, but then you had Jodie in 04, Libby obviously world record in 04 and um, 06 and won a silver in 08 in the 100. And then Kate, both Campbells, Kate and Bronte won, won world championships and then Emma. So so really we've, we've had that flow on since Jodie, um, but we had massive gaps getting back mm. to, I can't remember if we talked about this off air before we started, but, you know, the whole thing when you were in that, the Bernie Wakefield years, it was all speed through endurance and, um, I forgot how you you put it, but it was quite well. If you've got sprinters in your program, you're not working them hard enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. At the national at the national conference, if you've uh, you've got to work out what you're doing wrong. You've made a mistake. Correct it.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it, and uh, it gets back to you know when they asked me um, uh, around about two thousand, two thousand one, must have been probably two thousand, maybe even ninety nine. Yeah, who? who how are you going to get yourself back on teams, Shannon, and some of the older established coaches who had been on some teams with? And I said, "Oh, we've got these female sprinters," and they just laughed, you know.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's no it prestige wasn't on the radar, good. was it? And no, and no
2: prestige. Yeah, and just thinking, like, um, yeah, you know, with the with the GB women, is it because there hasn't been any women, and and, and with the men, there's always someone with our men was there always someone for the young guys to look up to mm. um obviously now with the women there there probably has been in the last 16 years but there was no one you know big part of um getting Jody and Alice to swim fast was getting them to believe that they could swim fast because they couldn't see anyone that was swimming fast yeah no, no um how much do you think that plays a role
0: Look, I, I think that's—I think it's massive. I think, I mean, swimmers have heroes like everybody else, and they want to be like someone. And if you've got a kid who's who who idolises someone who's big in the public realm, um, and sits as someone that they want to be like, I think there's there's not a lot big, I think that we probably are getting back to an era now where kids can have fans and can be fans of um, of of their sporting heroes. I think we almost lost that for a little bit where they didn't they weren't as aware. So I think it's absolutely critical. Uh, it holds a level of prestige, uh, uh, and at the moment, where prestige is probably more important than it's ever been at any other time in the world, because of social media and the way that the kids are exposed to it, uh, I think it absolutely is is super critical. I, I don't think coaches use that enough, honestly, in the, in the development of their kids and in making them aware of the kids in their event and the history and 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 why it's so important. But absolutely, and I, to your point. The girls are rolling on now because they can see what's possible and the girls' relays, um, as, as as exposed as it is, and Emma's just done what she's done, Kate's been doing what she's doing for a while, and then Libby and Jodie before that. Definitely think there's a roll-on effect. Oh. Uh, absolutely. Uh, the 100 free, oh, I mean, 100 free, it's, it's, it's the equivalent of the 100 track event, isn't it? Nothing gets more publicity than you seen Bolt walking on a track yeah. up until a few years ago. That's so, uh, well, what like John yeah, Devitt used to always it. say
2: to me, you know, because he came through... Uh, yeah, he was official. I think pretty, I don't know if he was CEO or he was mm. president of Swimming Australia. But yeah, we we had all the distance. It was all Kieran and Kowalski yeah. and Glenn and Hausman and yes. uh, it was just distance, distance, distance. You know, you had Don and Bill, um, head coach and national youth coach, and and I think you know that there's a, there's a reflection there when people are swimming fast whatever that event is, then we as young coaches hear what they were doing and and say that was yeah. whatever events and they're up talking about those events and then coaches are applying that in their home programs. Mm-hmm. And that's not what suits a sprinter.
0: No. no yeah. and co- coaches idolise other coaches too. Mm. Uh, we go along and you remember it, the days where we go along to a, a, a state camp and, you know, we have – between jr and ken and someone else would just basically be seeing who could warm warm the kids up on the past a cycle yeah and it's ruining our sprinters
2: yeah, um, yeah and saying,
0: well, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pull back from that And everyone was doing the same warm-up it's like we can't do this but um i think for coaching style though um it's easy to go okay i want to be like those guys but for coaches like yourself and and bernie it's it's easy i mean to to try to almost be an anti-establishment kind of person and I think it went a little bit the same that you go, okay, well, they're doing it that way. I'm going to find a different way. I want to find a better way. Uh, and, you know, that takes a certain type of personality, which is, you know, the switch that you're talking about, that you made there in, in that time there. I, I, in, in thinking about it, I remember coming off the back of, uh, or looking at things with Maggie, and we are just coming out of suit era, and everyone was front-ending their races. And I, I, we actually sat down and had a meeting about what it took to do a good 100 freestyle and why he was potentially good, well-positioned, because he was almost... Negative splitting his hundred at that point when he when he came across, and we we went back pre suit area and said, okay, well this is him back to pop, this is what Popov did. Have a look at this race. Here's, here's Popov and Gary Hall. Here's here's the four by one medley in, in two thousand. This is the way this hundred is swam. It's not a sprint event. Uh, it, it, it's it's forty seven seconds. It's forty eight seconds. Mm. You know it it takes sixty meters for you saying Bolt to wind up to, to, to top speed. So yeah. If he's not sprinting the whole thing, you're definitely not and selling it based on that. But going against convention, which was, you've got to get out there, you've got to have a high rate because a suit will help you survive. It was it was a complete switch, but um, I don't mind the, the any establishment. It's got me in trouble a few times, but I don't mind going against the system. Um, and I, I think that that's kind of what you're talking about. And you've got to decide um, where you're going to be going with convention. Again, getting back to the cut and paste coaching, whether you're going to do what everyone else is doing or you're going to look at the problem in front of you and solve it for yourself. Even if it means it's nothing to do with what everybody else is doing, yeah. I that there's, there's some there's a maturity and wisdom, and, and bravery in, in a bit of coaching like that. But I think that you know it's it's hard when you're doing ten sessions a week and you're waking up at four and you're going getting home at seven. But to be able to give your brain the space to be able to step back from convention, and not just watch thirty kids go up and down a pool or twenty kids or even ten to be able to look individually. Um, again, getting off the topic of your question, but I think it's it's absolutely critical if we're talking to coaches about that sort of stuff to be able to step back and give yourself the opportunity to see your athlete and give yourself the space and, and you know, do your own thing. Yeah,
2: yeah I just, um, we, uh, yeah when you look at Australia, we've ebbed and flowed in, in you know, swing from here to there in different yeah. events. We've swinged with our men and we've swinged with our women. Um, and that's probably a chat for another day. Um, and event-wise as well. So you've got to be careful who's, standing up in front would probably be my point because yeah you know, if you, if you've had success in the 200 fly well and you've got a 100 meter freestyler a a, a youngster there, there's no correlation there between to fly preparing someone for a turn of fly and a 100 free but I think in the past that's what's gone on too often you know 100%. And, you, and you
0: kill 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 what makes them good yeah you know, detrain de- the, de- the process that, one, they enjoy, and two, they're just, they're just natural beasts out here. Know? Yeah. De- Decreasing the ability of the aquatic animal. And then you end up,
2: you know, uh, at some point, you know, someone in, in Australian swimming goes, oh, how come we haven't got any of X? <laughs> yeah. Well, we haven't got any of X's because we've been doing all of this other stuff, and this other stuff is fine for those events that we're doing well in. But the events we aren't doing well in is because we're not training them in those ways, you know, so.
0: 100%, yeah. And if you don't know, and even if you think you do, probably if you think you do, you're probably in worse shape than if you, if you don't because as soon as I think I've got it all worked out, it normally comes and bites me on the bum. But... i um, yeah, have all been bitten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, but it's whether you, whether you think you know or whether you don't, the curiosity, to go and find out. Because it, when you think you know, you can put your blinkers on and your blinkers are great. But if your blinkers get too narrow, you don't see. So... I think curiosity is the key with them. So outsourcing and going and speaking to people who, who, or going and see programs who have got your event happening and you know, yeah. working out and chatting with them and, and getting, understanding their language a little bit because we, we coach on an island and we don't get off our island because we, we're on our island when everyone else is on their island.
2: Yeah, so, uh, island mentality, unbelievable. Um,
0: yeah. So curiosity involved not just curiosity but actually putting yourself in a in a place where it is unfamiliar and you do need to ask questions and you ask questions of yourself as well. I think that's critical. And, and if it, even if that means you drop a session a week for a, a, a month over winter and you let your assistant coach take them and you go and see someone who is doing the job in the event or the event type or the physiology or something you see in them and you spend that time with them, I think that got to get outside our own brain sometimes. It, it, don't, it doesn't do us a lot of good being stuck in there all the time. And that, yeah. the, Getting back to the value of being on deck with, with you and Bernie.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, as humans, we're just creatures of habit, aren't we? And um, mm. we've got to make sure that if we want to perform at a high level, we've got to get out of that habitual nature because, um, you know, what's the saying? Um, repeating something over and over again and not changing is... Yeah, and expecting a change, yeah. Yeah, a definition it's of insanity. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, very true. I think it's good, really good advice and... Um. The oh, lost my train of thought. Then, anyway, I think we'll have to have a a a a, a, a part two
0: because I'm happy um, with part two.
2: There's a few things here that we could delve into a little bit more, um, which would be good. So yeah, no,
0: fantastic. We can never chat fantastic. about
2: 2012. Um, the uh 2013 uh, worlds. We were on two different teams and stuff. uh but you, you know, certainly getting back to you, getting out of your comfort zone—that that's what going for me. Coaching overseas uh, was the best thing I did. May not have been the best thing f- for my coaching in Australia, but it was certainly the best thing for my coaching as Shannon Rollison. Because um, you certainly get out of your comfort zone. You certainly see different things, um, and it's all just all part of adding to the to the and which what we're constantly trying to do as coaches uh, is add i uh, i remember now what i was going to say um i think one of the most important um words you can to have as a coach is why yeah yeah you know, yeah why'd they go well why didn't they go well i think yeah. you, you've got to ask yourself why they went well more times than we do because quite often we only ask why when they go bad but um because there's just as much to be learned in the going. One hundred percent.
0: Yeah, I, I think if, if there's if there's things that are, again just just from my experiences with, with heading around to coaches and as I looking back at myself, I spend like, way more time planning, but not as much time reflecting as I should. And I see that around coaching but, you know, and that and that there's not a lot of reflection. And the better the reflection and why they went well or why they didn't, you reflect that he inform the planning better. So I probably would have spent less time planning. I would have spent more time reflecting. And then I would have planned with a, with a, a better and more informed view. So uh, wh- why, why is always. Um, and sometimes we can't force ourselves into the why. So that's that's why we've got to uh, force ourselves outside and, and start asking questions and, and not expect that our brain's going to know all the answers. Because it might know the answer, but it might not have the capacity to go through the processes to get there Yeah. Um, while we're comfortable and we're, we're, we're in our box. So yeah, like we've got to get our, outside our box. Two things I think we've got to do there. We've got to, one, get outside our box and, two, do more gardening because, <laughs> for me, the out-of-the-box out is I'm not going to anyone's program, that there's no one swimming across the road, but if I'm gardening, I'm in my nothing zone. Yeah. When I'm in my nothing zone, it gives my my head space for the ideas to come in that won't come in when I'm trying to think. Yeah. So I, I look back at the uh, – people ask me what advice would I give myself when I started coaching. It's like give yourself more space. Yeah. I was in a hurry and I was too ambitious. I was running around, but my clarity comes now through a through a break um, between when, when I actually stop. And I've had a chance to stop because I'm in this job and I'm, I'm only coaching coaches, so it gives me a chance to reflect. But, I, geez, I'd love to have had the space I've got now in my brain while I was coaching because I was probably a little bit addicted to the coaching puzzle.
2: Yeah, you need time, don't
0: you? Yeah. For that. me, that's gardening. Yeah. Or riding a bike or coaches. whatever.
2: At the AIS, I used to say, make sure you've got enough time. Um, and it's yeah. something that I didn't get enough of as, as the head coach. But, um, yeah, I, I've got two spaces. One's on my bike and the other one yeah. is, has been gardening. And and with Elle and I, we've always been into it. Um, uh, not always successful, but uh, we've always been into the, the gardening thing. But, yeah, you just got to have your own place, haven't you? Whatever that
0: may yeah. be. Um, yeah. and, and prioritise it. Not yeah. do it when there's, there's nothing else to do. Do it, plan it into your week because if the space gives you new ideas and it develops your creativity, then how is that more important than something else you're going to do when you arrive on pool deck and you've got a fresh head, you've got a clear head and you can see your athletes better? So it's a, it's a performance priority for me. Oh, too often for me, and I, and I know I talk to other coaches about it, it happens by accident almost, you know, you're gardening. and Oh, my God, great idea. I'll have to do more gardening. And then you don't know, gardening ever too much. You go, why didn't I do this in the first place? You know, but you've got to prioritize putting the space in there. I'm getting better at doing it, but I don't know whether that's just because I'm doing what I'm doing, and I I, I I I still would like to think that I'd be able to be better than I was. But I know that the challenge of having athletes there all the time just gets my brain ticking over. I need to escape from. I need to know myself and escape from it, um, and, and actually force myself. And almost, I think I have to plan it into my week and just put it on my calendar where I'm doing two hours of gardening here no matter what. No meetings, no nothing, no athletes, no parents, no nothing. I'm doing this now because it's going to make me a better coach. Yeah, And I do it for myself and my own sanity but and my own longevity, but do it because I'll, I'll be a better coach when I uh, when I finish gardening, even if whether I've done a good job or not.
1: Brent, it's fantastic that you bring up gardening because I don't know if you know, but there's a common thread on the Shannon Rollison podcast each week, which is (laughs) Shannon discusses his lawn and updates the listeners on how the lawn is going. He had a bit of a sort of a a battle going on with his lawn. He got a a special advisor in to advise him on how, you know, he could keep going with the lawn. So, I mean, I love that you're keeping this thread going with the gardening because it's definitely a, a hot topic on our podcast.
0: Shannon, we'll have to get speaking off air about that. That's great. I had lawn grub. Oh, <laughs> so I didn't know I no. had lawn grub.
2: And I, I used the wrong weed, yeah, weed killer for my grass and basically killed a very large section of my back lawn and then the grubs got in because I'd oh. weakened the grass and uh, have you gone the weed and feed?
0: <laughs> <laughs> On the buffalo grass.
2: Yeah. So I'm actually trying to convert my, my grass to buffalo grass. And actually, this okay. morning before we got on air, I I trans I'm into transplanting grass now, Robbie. I transplanted wow. some of the good stuff from the front <laughs> to the back. So it was very high tech this morning. This sounds like
0: yeah, stuff I, they I do I on the,
1: cricket pitches, isn't it? Some I did the same
0: last week. I had a transplant last week. <laughs> filled, up a, filled up against a, an, an edge that I, I was getting frustrated with. Um, and then you, but you got to keep your you've got to keep the root stamp, Shannon. That's the key. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but lawn grub, lawn grub, I hate it. Nutgrass is my nemesis. Yeah. Nutgrass kills me. Uh, nut nut grass. Grass. So, yeah, no, gardening, gardening, fantastic. It just gets, gets me out of it. I, um, I, uh, I I need to do it. I need to do it. Plus, it's something else other than coaching, and you, know, you can't get you, Yeah, it, it's, it's something we get into because we love it and yeah. we love it so much. And it's almost a to it a point where we get, yeah, yeah, it becomes a weakness because we love it so much we can get obsessed into it. And then when we stop seeing and we, we, we lose longevity potential with it. We, we get caught up in it and it starts to become a job because uh, it becomes too serious mm. and we, we, it's great to 90% and then the last 10, 10% bites us on the arse and makes us worse and makes us worse with our family sometimes or worse when we get home or worse with our sleep and then it's not sustainable. So um, it, it goes against what you feel like you should be doing but stepping away can be your, can be your best coaching tool. Yeah,
2: uh, well said. All right, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. You got anything, Robbie, or uh, or we'll save it for part B?
1: Yeah, no, I think definitely we save it for part B. I've had um, Brant on the podcast as well uh, on off the blocks, and yeah, we definitely discussed a lot of stuff like that and just what he was touching on there in terms of switching off and – getting away and, you know, might be reading books or it might be just getting away from what you're doing. Or sleep, sleep, you're very big on sleep, brand I remember mm. that and how important yeah. it is. I mean, it's not rocket surgery, is it? I think we all know that sleep is important, but it's not as easy as said than done as coaches, uh, as you guys know, when your brain's ticking away and you should be sleeping, but you've realized that maybe you could have done tomorrow morning set a little bit differently and you're chopping and changing. And then anyway, yeah. So no, definitely Shannon, we can, we can go for a, a round two for sure. And maybe tie in 2012, um, yeah. London as well with that. But, uh, yeah, in wrapping up brand, thank you very much mate, for, for coming on for a chat. That was brilliant. And, as i love uh being a part of this because i just get to sit back and i don't know if you noticed, but i was writing notes and just doing little <laughs> things and i always hope that the listeners are doing the same i mean obviously we want to entertain and we want to give a little bit of fun there with you know grass stories and things like that but i, I definitely hope and the, and the idea of the shannon rollison podcast is this is like you know what people would get if they were going to go to a conference and shannon was a speaker and getting up and doing those sort of chats that people get to buy every week it's free Just get in there, have a listen, and especially listening to you guys, you know, talk about, uh, you know, what you did today and the lessons you've learned is just invaluable. And I think any coach out there that's looking to improve that's not looking at things like this um, probably needs to question how much they want to improve because I think, you know, it's all free, it's all there for you. So, mate, thank you very much for coming on. And, yeah, definitely looking forward to
0: having you on again. Thanks for having me, Robbie. So it's always great fun. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm looking forward to round two.
1: Well, everyone else, have a great weekend. And until we see you next time, um, thank you very much for joining us again and uh, see you next week.
0: Thank you, gents.